Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. There are many types of Baptists, but being a Baptist once meant that you were a fundamentalist. Over the years, many Baptists have strayed from the fundamentals and thus attack those who remain true to the faith. This podcast will address the issues surrounding what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Somebody said, Brother House, fundamentalists are changing, aren't they? No, fundamentalists don't change. Folks quit being fundamentalists. God says when the troubles come, He said fight. You can't fight. He said withstand. You can't withstand. He said stand. What does it mean to stand? He said don't change. What? Don't change what? Number one, don't change what you believe. Here we will reason concerning the scriptures about the doctrines we hold dear. We believe in souls being saved, lives being changed, and Bible doctrines being strengthened by the Word of God. We believe in the local church, soul winning, missions, and everything taught in the King James Bible. I thank God tonight for this wonderful Bible. You know, I, I thank God it's a perfect book, and I, I love the Bible. Doesn't need any addition, no correction, nothing taken from it. Thank God tonight for the Holy Bible. I like it just like it is. We are not ashamed of being fundamental Baptists, and we want to encourage others to remain true to the Bible, their Baptist heritage, and to not change what they have been given. You just stick with the book. You can't beat this book. Why does every generation feel that we got to change it just a little bit because our daddy did it as I said, and our granddaddy did it like that, and let's change it just a little bit. You change it, and things that are different are not the same. The same commit thou to faithful men. Thank you for joining us in our discussion of what it means to be a fundamental Baptist. Hello and welcome. Welcome to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. And uh, we have a guest today, Dr. S.M. Davis. And uh, he's preached at our church last year and then this year also. And we have thoroughly enjoyed him and his messages and uh, the helpful nature of it. I was telling him earlier that his messages are, in my mind, what a, a Bible sermon is supposed to be to fix a problem. Uh, but the house would always say it's a greasy wrench to fix a problem and to take the Bible truths and to use them to fix problems in our family, in our homes, with our children, our marriage, or our country, our churches. Uh, just such a big deal. Brother Davis does a great job with that. And so I want to interview you. So uh, when did you get saved? Uh, where are you at? When did God I was born in 1951, so I'm 71 years old. Okay. And I was saved when I was five years old Beautiful. at uh, Northside Baptist Church in Gaffney, South Carolina. Wow. I was saved at Northside Baptist Church in Columbia, Tennessee. So <laughs> right. small world. So uh, right. I knew with the name. So uh, when did you feel the call to uh, ministry or to preach? When I was about 12, I, I walked away from uh, the Lord. About 15, age 15, God sent a, an incredible revival to our church. Oh. And uh, I, I remember... Uh, it was a Sunday night, January 22nd, 1967, just a real red-letter day for wow. my life. And um, uh, there was no preaching that night. A fellow stood up and said that uh, he read his text, and, and then he, he got down and prayed, and then he stood up and he said, God won't let me preach tonight. And they started singing, Jesus paid it all, and they probably sang it for an hour and a half. Wow. And the Spirit of God just really moved in that service. All my friends went to the altar, and I held back. Mm. And finally, I went forward and knelt and surrendered my life to the Lord. And uh, I didn't surrender to preach until um, 11 months later okay. at a um, missions conference. And God had been dealing with me about it, but I I didn't want to <laughs> do it. I just, you know, God's 
you know, I've, I've surrendered my life to the Lord. That's good enough. But preaching, I mean, that's uh, that's a different thing. And so, anyway, I went forward and and knelt and prayed and said, God, if you want me to preach, I will. And my pastor, Dr. Edward Maccabee, told this later, all right? He didn't say it that night. I'm glad he didn't say it that night. But uh, he went home and told his wife, he said, I know he surrendered to preach, but if God ever made a mistake, he made it tonight. <laughs> so that is, that is amazing. When I surrendered, surrendered to preach, I went to the pastor where my family was going to and told him, and and um, he was on vacation the week I surrendered, and he told me, he said, I never prayed for you one time. And I was away from God also. My mom, every Wednesday night prayer meeting, would say, um, please pray that my son David would go to Bible college at least one year, and he would write it down. He looked at me and said, I never prayed for you one time. And I was joking, laughing. He goes, I'm serious. I never prayed for you one time. I said, okay. He said, I knew you. He said, I knew you would never change. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, we were both mistakes. So, uh, so uh, when did you meet your wife? How long have you been married? Well, um, what happened was we were at a uh, camp in Mississippi, and I was actually playing the trumpet there. Mm. And um, her dad invited us, my friend and I, he played, he was the preacher, not me. And he played the trombone, and I played the trumpet, and my uh, future father-in-law invited us to his church in Illinois. And I led the singing, he did the preaching, we both played our instruments, and I sat on the front um, I sat on the platform of the church and looked down, and Ray Jean was sitting on the front row, and I thought, boy, that's the prettiest girl I ever saw in my life. But she wasn't interested in me. She was interested in my friend. <laughs> but after a, uh, a couple of weeks, and that began to change, and uh, we, we met on July the 28th, 1968, that very day, and on July 28th, 1969, we got married. Beautiful. I was 18. She was uh, almost 18. She was 17. Mm. And uh, so we've been married 53 years now. Beautiful, beautiful. And children, grandchildren? Uh, I've got four daughters. They're all married. And uh, I have 14 grandchildren. Beautiful. And uh, uh, four great-grandchildren. Wow. So I'm blessed. Awesome. Very blessed. So ministry, uh, where did you pastor at and how many years pastor? Well, I started when I was 16. Uh, I had just rendered to preach, and my pastor lost his music director and asked me to become the music director. And I took, um, at 16, I took the music ministry and the choir, and um, uh, I was there for... Um, three years and uh, well no longer than that wait a minute five years I was ministering music for five years then I went to Texas to go to uh, graduate school and uh, for two years I was assistant pastor and minister music and then at age 23 I went to Illinois uh, the church in Illinois called me and I went there and I'm still in Illinois almost 50 years in Illinois now Pastored for 36 and a half years Beautiful. until um, uh, 2011, and I had a heart attack and mm. realized I couldn't keep pastoring and stepped down and started traveling, speaking, and been doing that now for 11 years. So. Beautiful. Amen. Mm. 
So what was the name of the church there in Illinois? And Park Meadows Baptist Church Park in Lincoln, Baptist, Illinois. Lincoln, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And God hasn't let you out of communist uh, Illinois yet. Not yet, <laughs> not yet. And, you know, I'm actually a member now of a church in Arkansas, Victory Baptist Church in Benton, Arkansas. Okay. My pastor's Brandon Graham. Beautiful. have a wonderful relationship there. Good. So um, the, the messages that you preach, I remember hearing about you in Bible college and uh, hearing some of your uh, sermons back then. Um, my brother-in-law married a girl from your church, and we, uh, we were at a wedding that, uh, at your church years and years and years ago. Hmm. And uh, John Middleton uh, married... Mary uh, Jane. Mary Jane, yeah. So okay. My brother-in-law. And so I was at the church and heard uh, heard the wedding there. And uh, I remember going out and seeing some of your uh, the ministry there with the... Um, back then VCR tapes, uh, things mm -hmm. that would go out. So uh, how did that get started, and how did God uh, lead you in that? Well, we had problems in our family, and um, I, I really, problems with one of my daughters, and I just fell on my face and said, God, I don't get it. I, yeah. I've done everything everybody's told me to do, and nothing's worked. And um, I said, God, if you will... If you'll turn this situation around and, and show me the truths I need to learn. And the first message um, was changing the heart of a rebel. Because God showed me what we were doing wrong. And um, so I, I started, I preached that message and I gave the principles. I had actually counseled somebody else about how to turn around their rebellious teenager. And... Um, we had sent our daughter away, but I, I told this pastor, I said, they don't have to send the daughter away, but they need to follow these principles and they can turn their child around. And, and so I preached a message telling about that, and, 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 and they did. The people followed it, and I told the story, and, and they turned their uh, teenage boy around, and so I preached a message telling about that. And... Uh, that was the first message, and and then I, I preached another message, Seeds of Disintegration, planted by the boyfriend-girlfriend philosophy, mm -hmm. where I'll talk about how Johnny likes Susie, they break up. Johnny likes this one, they break up. Johnny likes this one, they break up. Johnny likes this one, they break up. Johnny likes Melinda, and they get married, and they break up. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I showed the seeds of disintegration in the whole boyfriend-girlfriend game Absolutely. that is still so much a part of our culture in our day. Yeah. And, um, and you're right. It is, it is those two messages, um, which, I mean, I didn't have any graphics. My videos now have lots of graphics. Right. But I just put them on a, we just put them on a VHS video, and I bought an ad, and people bought them. Which amazes me, and and then it went from that to another message to another to where we now have over 130 um, wow. videos that deal with almost any issue that you can think of in the family or whatever, marriage, parenting, anger, uh, whatever it might be. Well, and there definitely is such a need, and those two topics are amazing, because I was the rebel. I went totally away from my mom and dad and moved out of the house in high school and caused those problems, and those seeds of that uh, boyfriend-girlfriend, it's amazing how parents don't think about that. I, I'm in first grade, and uh, so I have a girlfriend at church, um, 
um, asked her to be my girlfriend when she, when I was three years old, and we were boyfriend girlfriend at church, the first grade. Then I went to the school in the country, and so I had another girlfriend at school. So I had one at school at uh, church on Sunday, and another girlfriend. Uh, I'm two timing in first grade, and everyone thought it was so cute. Isn't that so yeah. cute? And w- we don't realize that dating is preparation for marriage. What are we preparing for? You know, mm-hmm. it's just such a mess, and that continued all through high school. And and when the girl, and she was not a good girl. Um, and my dad was concerned about her, and he said something. He said, Dad, you can't tell me who I can like. You can't tell me who I can love. That's in my heart. And it was like, hands off. And he backed up. Oh, like, well, yeah, we can't say anything about that. And um, and so those things, boy, just caused a disintegration of life and relationship with my dad and family and all. And so uh, that's it. What year was that? When did you start um, with those messages? That was early 90s. That would have been 92, 93. Wow. Uh, the ministry actually really began probably 93. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up on 30 years. 30 years? Yeah. Yeah, 30 yeah, years. 30. We're coming up on 30 years awesome. for the ministry. Um, we'll talk about this at the end too, but the website where they can go to get that information, where they can order those and see those. SolveFamilyProblems.org or SolveFamilyProblems.com. Right. Good. Solve family problems. And, and it is. Problems are made to be fixed. They're made to be solved. There is an answer, and God has that. I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I'm sure it's been with you, too. But some of the best truths that I've ever, ever, ever gotten came out of counseling somebody. Oh, yeah. They had a problem, and I didn't know the answer. And they're telling me this problem, and inside I'm going, I have no clue what to do. God, please help me. God, please help me. Wow. Now I would give them this advice. <laughs> if it was someone I was close to, I'd say, hold on, can I write that down? Oh, I'm literally very God just gave that to yes, me. Yes, yes. Because you need bread for that. those people who That's came right. from afar. God, I want to help these people, and I don't know what to do. And when God mm-hmm. gives that truth, that totally backed up from the Bible, the Holy Spirit bringing that to remembrance, just amazing truths that you're able to get to be able to give to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It sounds like God done that with you also. Oh, yes, over and over. In fact, I've told people, I could stand at my table when I've when I've got my whole table set up and it takes three eight foot tables to put everything out and and I've got all these but I could walk over and I could say uh, that message was born to help this person and that one was born to help that and I could name you the people that it was born to help that and 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 then I preached that knowing I was trying to help specific people and I thought hey everybody needs this truth and and so it wasn't like I was firing at somebody It was like I'm, I'm coming alongside, and I've got a truth that'll help, and here it is. And if and if you'll get it, it'll it'll and receive it, it will help you. So besides, I know we have 130, so we can't go into all of them. But besides those two initial ones that God gave you with the boyfriend girlfriend, and then the kind of turn uh, rebel around, what are the biggest problems that you see that parents, moms, and dads just don't have a clue? They just they miss it, or the devil uses something to be able to mess them up. Uh, if there are a couple that you see the devil use all the time to be able to mess families up, um, what messages would those be that they they should get? Well, the, the big thing is getting the child's heart, keeping the child's heart so that you can direct the child. If whoever has the heart has the child, my son, give me thine heart. Um, and the thing that keeps the biggest thing in our culture, but it's a problem pretty much worldwide, that causes parents to not uh, get their child's heart or lose their child's heart is the anger. 
they deal with the child in anger, they correct the child in anger, they discipline the child in anger, and it drives the heart away. And so what happens is that by age 12, a young man should be a young man. Jesus at age 12 in the temple, got a whole message on that, what to expect from a Mm 12-year-old. And Jesus... Uh, a, a young man or a young lady by age 12 should be not a child anymore, right. but they should be a young man or a young lady and they should be, their parents should treat them more like an adult than they do a child. And then these teenage years are really transition years into full-blown being a man by age 20. The, the number 20, the age 20 is significant in the Bible. I have a whole message on what God expects from a 20-year-old. Wow. And at age 20, a man, uh, a young man has crossed a line of demarcation uh, that is drawn by God himself. You remember in the, uh, in the wilderness, it was all those 20 and up right. who, God, who God held responsible. Yeah. And... Um, So he's crossed a line of demarcation. He is no longer directly responsible to his parents. Now, does he he honor his parents? Of course. Does he listen to his parents? Of course. Does he seek their counsel? Yes, but he is now, for his decisions, directly responsible to God himself. And uh, he needs to get wise, godly counsel and make wise, godly decisions. And but parents, the, the problems I see, generally speaking, is that parents will um, they'll let their children just get by with all kinds of things. And um, in in my message, um, three key elements of successful parenting, okay. I say um, I say that you should, um, and I'm for, I'm forgetting my points there, <laughs> but. Um, they need to go get the message. <laughs> number, <That's> one, number, <laughs> one, number one is always win. The parents must be the winner in conflict of wills with the, with the child. They must win. The child must not be in charge of the home. But then number two is uh, be gentle. Yeah. And those two fight against each other. I mean, if you're going to win, then, you know, I'm going to have to get as angry as I need to get so that I win this battle. No, you have to be gentle. David said, uh, thy gentleness has made me great. Greatness in a child is produced by the gentleness in his parents. So while the parent is winning these conflicts, he's got to win. uh, He's got to not get angry and he's got to be gentle. And then the letter C is consistency. Consistently be consistent. The parent cannot be up and down. One day you're dealing with you're right. dealing with the child this way, and the next day you're dealing with them this way. And the parent and the child doesn't know what to expect. And and so, um, and 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 there must be a diligent hand. Not there must be a firm, golden, diligent hand. The hand of the diligent maketh rich. And so. When the parent is continually, he's not just letting the child get by with things. Right. Lots of mistakes in parenting are not because the parent 
does something wrong, it's because the child does something wrong and the parent doesn't deal with it. Mm -hmm. But the anger is a huge thing. And then growing out of the anger is um, dictatorial parenting, especially in our groups of um, independent fundamental bandages, which right. I am one. Right. But um, there's a lot of... Um, you're going to do what I say to do because I'm the parent and you're going to do it. Yeah. And then that, that you were uh, saying earlier that we were going to talk about churches. That's a problem in churches mm -hmm. with pastors sometimes becoming dictatorial parents right. and, and getting angry in the pulpit or using a spirit of anger in yeah. our preaching. Mm -hmm. and, and because of this anger, this spirit of anger, if a preacher... And I did this for so many years, and I tried to never preach with a spirit of anger now. But uh, and, and you know, it's easy to preach on anger with a spirit of anger. <laughs> and, and one of the big problems in our churches is that we, we have justified the use of anger. Mm -hmm. I hear preachers, even now, I was reading a sermon in a uh, fundamental paper that came out just in the last month, and the guy talks about how some of our anger is all right. Mm. And I thought, you really don't realize the damage you're doing. As soon as you give permission mm -hmm. for a little bit of anger, right. what you're going to have is a whole lot of anger. And they quote, and you know this, be angry and sin not. You mm -hmm. know? So yeah, they, they think they're righteously indignant over something, mm -hmm. but what comes out of that is not the Spirit of God, and it's yeah, not going to help the people. And, and I have messages where I answer that. The sure. two big excuses we use are that verse you said, yeah. be angry and sin not, and they'll say, didn't Jesus get yeah. angry? Yeah. And, and I answer all of that, and I talk about God's anger, um, but Anger is such a massive, massive problem, not only in our society. And see, the problem is we preachers have justified it. Right. And so it just keeps going on. And the sermons keep coming out saying, and I heard about a prominent counselor in America who's just written in the last couple of years a book justifying uh, anger. You can, you know, and, and, and I thought as soon as I heard it, you're undoing all the wow. good you're doing. He's one of the best counselors in the world, but he's published a book justifying the use of anger. And, and I thought, you have no idea the devastation you're going to do to families, homes, right, right. lives, by allowing, by saying to people, you, you, can, you can use anger. And it's a tool that you can use, but it's a, it's a wrecking tool. Right. It's, not, it, it's a sledgehammer. It's not a, you talk about using tools to fix things, but um, anger is a sledgehammer. Right. It destroys. It, it doesn't right. help. So on that note, for churches, you've been pastor for 36 years, plus um, ministry in other places and churches and traveling. So what are the messages that you preach, whether it's on anger or you think that would be great for pastors and churches listening right now to, to this, to be able to go, if they want to have a godly ministry that produces the fruit for the church that you want? What would you... Uh, I have a message called How Right Priorities Prevent or Solve Life's Biggest Problems. Mm -hmm. And there is in our movement, and it goes back, um, it goes back decades of time. Mm -hmm. Decades of time. I mean, I don't, I don't know where, where it starts, 
But I remember sitting in an auditorium with hundreds, if not thousands of preachers and hearing the, uh, the key speaker up there teach what I'm about to give you. And, and this one philosophy has destroyed thousands of homes and frankly has destroyed hundreds if not thousands of pastors and their families. Here's the way it goes. They'll say, all right, uh, they'll say, God made Adam. He made Adam to take care of the garden. God made Eve, made Eve to take care of Adam. So a man's number one thing is his job, work, or ministry. And the lady's number one thing is her family. And then they would say something like this. And if you will take care of the ministry, then God will take care of your family. Now, what that does, if you stop and think about it, the problem with that is that it is an answer to a flawed question. Right? I deal with this in the message, how right priorities prevent or solve life's biggest problems. And, and the wrong question is, the flawed question is, what is a man's top priority? Right. You can't answer that question. Flawed questions Absolutely. have to be corrected. Absolutely. And the, the flaw is in beginning that with the word what. What is a man's top priority? Life is not made up of what's. Right. Life is made up of whose. Life is made up of people. And if you follow the thinking that a man's top priority is the garden, instead, then it makes plants in the garden, more important than people. And because it, it and, and we say things like this, well, uh, God's work is, is more important than anything else. Well, um, stop and think about what you're just saying there. God's work is people. Right. All right. Who is a man's top priority as far as the relationships are concerned? That's the question we should be asking. Well, Number one, relationship is your relationship with God. But number two, number two is not those people sitting in the pew in church. Right. Number two, relationship is a man's wife. Yep. And number three is his children. And you can follow this right down the line. And if your, your relationship with God and your relationship with your wife and your children is right, then um, that forms the foundation for, and, and, and that's the reason in First Timothy chapter 3, it talks about, if a man desire the office of bishop, desireth a good word, bishop then must be the husband of one wife. And it, it's talking about his priority relationship. His children are, and, and, and you know, it's, it, right. children have to be in order and all of that. That forms the priority then for everything else. Yeah and all the other relationships. But if we don't have that right, then we're going to have problems with everything else. And when it's done right that way, the ministry has a stronger foundation and can much more people and help more people. Much better. You know, to be able to teach our children how to love God, how to walk with God, how to be um, 
right in their priorities also, they get to win more people to Christ. They get to build their families and train their children to win people to Christ. So That's right. more people are saved. Ministry is, uh, is right. People are reached. But it's amazing how many ministries are not because they didn't have that right priority of what that was. It was not a what, it's a who. Um, I, uh, I gave that message in a church in the state of Washington several years ago. And a, uh, um, a man came up to me and he said, and he named the Bible College, um, a prominent Bible college back in the 1950s among independent Baptists. And he said, I heard that taught in 1953. And he said, you're right. Every man who followed that teaching lost either their wives or their children or both. And he said, now what happens is they not only, they lose their wife, then they lose their children, then they lose their ministry, Absolutely. then they lose the church. Right. And, and everybody's wringing their hands saying, we don't get it. Yeah. How did this happen? We don't understand it. It's amazing that how Satan will use a good thing um, to be able to hurt us. I mean, you know, it's a ministry. We're going to serve the Lord. That's right. And then he uses that. That's right. Interesting. And then, you know, this, the, the Bible says the law is good if... What do you mean? The law is always good. No, the law is good if a man use it lawfully. If we take the Bible out of context, then then the law is bad. You know, and so mm -hmm. and how many times we do that? Oh, here's a verse that's good, but if it's not used lawfully in conjunction with the law, with the rest of the Bible, then it's going to be bad. And so many times, I think preachers and people have done that, and uh, it's devastating. Um, mm -hmm. This has been great. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Solvefamilyproblems.org or solvefamilyproblems.com, correct? Yes, that's okay. correct. Good. Mm -hmm. Any uh, last uh, word of advice for parents or pastors? Um, anything that you think would be uh, on your heart to give to them that you see problems and issues? And boy, if they have this truth, how many times have you done this where you knew of a situation, someone was going through a tough time, and you even helped them get the message that they needed, and how many times they didn't even listen to it? But, but you know this truth will fix that problem if they'll just use that and apply that. You know, the big thing I, I, that comes to mind when you say that is to say to pastors, um, because pastors, sadly, are the worst to fix their problems. Yeah. They're afraid of their people. Yeah. Fear is a massive problem with right. pastors. We are afraid of what our people are going to do yeah. if we deal with this. I've had so many pastors that I've had to say to, I've had to say to them, you're not going to do what you need to do. And because you're not, you're going to lose your family and you're going to lose the ministry. Eli did not lose the priesthood because his sons became vile. He lost the priesthood because his sons became vile and he restrained them not. He would not do what right. he could do. And I've said to pastors, anything you have to do, you have to do it. I actually said to one assistant pastor in Florida several months ago who called me and major problems with his wife, mm -hmm. now problems with his kids, now problems with the ministry, and I said, you need to resign immediately. I don't do that all the time. Yeah. Most of the time they don't have to do that. But I said, you need to resign immediately, move to Tennessee, get him David Baker's church and let him help you straighten all this out. Then you can go back into the ministry, but he wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I haven't talked to him for many months now. My guess is, if he's still in the ministry, it's amazing. Yeah. 
But I'm pretty sure he lost his marriage. It was still, we put that above. And like you said, when you do, now you lose that too. And mm-hmm. your kids and the ministry. And uh, and it's not to be done. So, but Davis, thank you so much for um, your willingness to teach and preach on these things. I'm sure, uh, I know you've helped thousands of people, and I'm sure the Well, Baker, you're helping too, people. But, I am so, so blessed to get to be with you because you understand these principles. And you're helping lots of people too. And I would tell people they need to, I would, I would tell pastors that they need to seek your counsel and listen to you and follow what you tell them to do. Well, God has the answers. And uh, that's what I wanted to do is to get with wise men and learn from them uh, because I've got 11 children to get through all of these phases of life and uh, and a wonderful wife that I want to be able to, we have 34 years, I'm sorry, 33 years uh, so far and I want to make it to be uh, 60 uh, plus that we have. So thank you so much again. I enjoyed this and hopefully this will be helpful. Thank you for listening to the Fundamental Baptist Podcast. If you have any questions, you can email us at thefundamentalbaptistpodcast at gmail.com.